In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest on the show is Peter Duncan. Peter is the uh, CEO and founder of Microseismic Inc. Thanks for coming on the show, Peter. It's my pleasure to be here, Russell. Well, it's my pleasure, as always, with all the guests that we have on here, because I always have a reason for having someone on the show, or at least we try to have at least one good point, you know. But actually, your director of marketing sent me something that got my attention. Apparently, CNBC had reached out to you guys because 10 years ago, they named you as an energy industry disruptor. Is that right? That is true. It was as surprising to me as I'm sure it sounds to you. <laughs> okay. So is that good or bad, Peter? <laughs> no, I think it was a good thing. What was going on at the time, there's a bit of a Forgive me, I should probably put it into context, but my career up until 2003, when I founded the company, had been in more conventional seismic. And if you'll recall around 2003, 2004, there was a move in the industry to become more green and more environmentally sensitive. And I got introduced to a professor who had some ideas, some intellectual property around the idea of doing passive seismic. Uh, now, passive seismic is to conventional seismic as a stethoscope is to an ultrasound. So the idea was that rather than using dynamite or vibrators and some of these other things that can be intrusive, that we would go out and put fundamentally a stethoscope on the chest of the reservoir and listen to the squishy sounds as a result of the interaction with the reservoir in order to help the reservoir be produced more efficiently. Now. We started that, as I said, in 2003 and four. we put the company together and started testing the concept in the industry. And what happened was the shale gale came along and fracking took off. And it turned out that as wells for the shales became longer horizontally or were being drilled into hot environments like the Haynesville, that our technology, which largely involved putting a stethoscope, I call it a stethoscope, you could think of it as a radio telescope, but on the surface of the earth, focused at the interior of the earth, focused at the reservoir. That technology had some real environmental and cost and technical advantages over the legacy technology for listening to fracks, which was to put a geophone or a microphone down close to the frack point in the reservoir where the rocks were being cracked. And so our business kind of took off. We rode the shale gale and we changed the way that people looked at their fracking wells. And in fact, the whole microseismic industry, not just us, but the whole microseismic industry, taking a look at how the rocks were breaking as they were fracked, we found out that the models people had been using for 50 years to understand what the rocks looked like as they fracked, those were all wrong. Oh, wow. It completely upset. Upset. It gave us much more knowledge of what was going on in the subsurface, and it changed the way that wells were fracked, and it changed the whole development scenario of the shale reservoirs. I would say for them to pick us as one of the disruptors or as a disruptor, 
I'm flattered. There were lots of technical contributions that were more than just ours, but we were very vocal in the industry about getting out there and sending the message that the old models were wrong, the new models need to be followed, and you can do better with your wells, and somehow it caught CNBC's attention. How about that? The disruption we're talking about is actually uh, very positive, but change is often a disruptor, and as the old saying goes, difficult to teach old dogs new tricks, huh? Yeah, well, no kidding. So, in fact, you're sort of alluding to the fact that CNBC got in touch with us 10 years later, and they said so, and in fact, the reporter who interviewed me, who got on the phone with me, said, well, Peter, we've gone back and looked at the disruptors from 10 years ago, and very few of them still exist, and you still do. Why is it that you're still in business, particularly in the energy business, which has gone through such a change, such an evolution over the last 10 years? Well, I've been in this business more than 40 years, and it isn't that we've gone through an evolution. We are continually going through revolutions in this business. And this has just kind of been situation normal for us responding to the way the business has changed. But it has changed greatly. And in fact, you'll recall in 2020 when the spot market for oil went negative. Yes, I recall. <laughs> and the fracking business, the number of frack spreads, the number of wells being drilled, that all went way down, and our business suffered greatly. We took a double whammy between the oil business collapsing or changing greatly and the COVID. And we went from the size of being 250 employees down to, in fact, five. Now, we still had people that we were employing sort of as we could, and we kept their medical insurance and things like that going, but our business was definitely teetering on the edge. However, the other side of not having a lot of immediate work, I mean, the shale gale for us was like drinking from a fire hose. And there were other opportunities we recognized to use our stethoscope, but we didn't have the bandwidth to pursue them. So when we kind of contracted, we started to use the bandwidth that we had that became available to start to look at new opportunities. And those new opportunities led us into some industrial applications for our technology, really just re-engineering our technology to start to look at things like sinkholes in Florida. And that became a business line for us that helped support us through those rough periods until frac monitoring started to come back, which it has. And then the concentration today on carbon sequestration provided another opportunity for us to take this stethoscope that we had derived, this permanent life of field monitoring system to hear the squishy sounds in the reservoir, to take that and apply it to the problems that are relevant to sequestration of carbon dioxide, and to develop yet another stream of business. And so our business is rebounding, and that was the message that I sent to CNBC. We're still here because we saw the market change. We took advantage of the opportunity to kind of look around for other problems we could contribute to, and we've had good market response to that. Well, that's an inspiring story. Not only is it inspiring, but if you're 
doing things like sinkholes and that sort of thing, I mean, you're providing a critical and important service. I agree 100%, Russell. And, and in speaking with you today and knowing that your podcast focuses on HSE issues, it struck me that all of the services that we, MSI, provides really have a strong HSE overprint. I'm an old guy. You mentioned about old dogs and new tricks. I'm an old guy, and I tend to think initially, as I start to think of HSE, I think of the safety of my crews and my people. And there's been an evolution in our company of our, and particularly my, thinking about safety. I'm an old doodlebugger. And in the field of seismic out in the field, you know, in the older days, and I'm talking 30, 40 years ago, we were kind of rough and tumble. And safety was important, but it wasn't the most important thing. It wasn't front and center all the time. And frankly, we had a safety statistic that we maintained, lost time incident count. And generally speaking, if our annual lost time incident count was one or two, then we thought that was industry standard and we were good. All right. Now, one day, and this was probably 13 years ago, one of my board members said, well, why are you satisfied with one or two? Why can't it be zero? And you know, I didn't have a good answer for that, Russell. So I went to the field people and I said, why can't it be zero? And they didn't have a good answer either. So we started a culture, a program of going for zero lost time incidents. And it meant a change in our focus in the field. It meant an attention to detail, an education, an elevation of the importance of safety. We added this LTI equals zero as a metric in our corporate bonus system. And you know, within three years, we got to LTI zero and we've been LTI zero ever since. And oh, I have wow. found that. That's an incredible story. It was a growth for me. You know, I wasn't focused and my board member doing exactly what a board member should do asked me a relevant question that made me rethink my status. And when I did, we changed the whole culture of the company. And it's not just that it saved lives, that's kind of a trite statement, but it actually was good for business. Because when you don't have incidents, you don't have lost time, you have people who are more confident and more aware of what they're doing and how they're doing their job. It lowers your insurance rates. And when you go out to the market, and you can represent that you have a zero LTI record for years and years in a row. The other companies who have recognized the importance of HSE, they respond to that and you move to the top of their bid list. So it's been a great change for us. But it goes beyond that, Russell, because again, thinking about this interview today, I started down that road of safety for my employees, but then I began to realize that our whole business which started off sort of in the direction of let's do seismic in an environmentally friendly way, has moved towards producing services that are really directed at the health, safety, and environment of our community. So for instance, our legacy business, frac monitoring. When we do frac monitoring, I think originally our frac monitoring was directed at making a better frac, a more efficient frac that would produce more hydrocarbons. The engineers have learned to do fracking efficiently. Our business focus has become more of let's do fracking in a way that doesn't lubricate the regional faults to create induced seismic events that could be felt at the surface or could damage infrastructure. 
let's create fracks that keep the frack fluid and the fracking events constrained to the reservoir so that they don't go shallow up into the drinking water. Not that they ever did. I mean, that was just bogus from the beginning. But right. we're watching and the anybody frack. Anybody who understands how wells cased would know that. Yeah, but we watch the fracks to make sure the fracks stay in the reservoir interval. And we watch the fracks to make sure they don't frack into adjacent wells and cause blowouts or blowbacks or loss of production. There's a real health, safety, and environmental aspect to our core business. And then when we get into sinkholes, well, I think it's obvious monitoring for sinkholes to prevent anything occurring at the surface, which can cause damage to property, can cause loss of life, or can cause environmental disasters. That's fundamentally an HSE calling. And the business that we've developed in Florida, we've already detected an incipient karsting development that could have become an environmental problem. But by early detection, our client was able to intervene and mitigate the issue by filling the potential karst with cement to keep it from coming to surface. And on the CCS side, our whole focus is on making sure that while we're injecting the carbon, the CO2, we're not, again, lubricating faults that are going to create regional seismic events. If we start to see small seismic events that are growing in magnitude, indicating that a regional fault's being reactivated. We can tell the client they shut down the injection temporarily, they let the pressure leak off, and that system will shut down, mitigating that seismic hazard. But as well, we can monitor for the integrity of the cap rock to make sure that the CO2 is staying in the reservoir, that it was put in place where it was put, and that it's not leaking out to the surface. And that is our main mission. Number one, to make sure there's no induced seismicity. Number two, to make sure that the reservoir integrity is maintained and that the CO2 is staying sequestered forever. I think of it as a business, but if I stand back and think of it in terms of HSE, I mean, Chucks, we're really doing good stuff. Oh, you really are. My question is, did you get all this info out to that CNBC reporter? Well, we just had a conversation like this, and I'm not sure that I focused on this HSE thing quite as much as I might be with you, but I talked to him about the importance of what we're doing, yes. Yeah, your message, you beat me to the punch. You kept talking about environmentally friendly, and you kept using the word frack and fracking, and you know, those two words don't go together, you know, and as I've often said, for a lot of people, fracking is uh, considered to be the F word, but just as you've eloquently described here. I mean, fracking is, well, it's the thing that gave us energy independence before certain things have happened in the last couple of years, but fracking was very important to production and it can be done in environmentally friendly ways. And I really uh, appreciate the way you described it and expressed it right there. I want to go back to the safety thing though, right quick. You bet. What you said about Okay, so we had one or two incidents a year, and we thought that was pretty good. And then somebody says, well, wait a minute, why don't you strive for zero? Which is kind of the attitude of, say, the uh, leaders in this have been like, say, the aviation industry or even the nuclear power plant industry. You know, United or Americans not going to, at the end of the year, say, oh, man, we only had two airplane crashes this year. That beat the industry standard. We feel pretty good about that. Now, they're, they're shooting for zero as well. How much of just 
changing that attitude of got you to this uh, zero LTI or what processes or processes did you put in place to get there? You know, I think it starts from the top down and it became a matter of me changing my attitude, refocusing my attitude, then going out and talking to my people and saying, why can't we be zero? And how do we get there? And so we had actually a safety department. We had safety people that we put on one safety person on any crew that was out in the field. They started developing checklists and reports and putting them in everybody's hand. And we always did safety meetings, but the safety meetings were probably more rote. Yep. Yep. And instead, they became important where if I were in the field, if I was in the field, I went to the safety meeting too. And I asked questions. And then we started empowering our people to report safety incidents. And instead of it being a blot, it became a mark of honor if you found something, if you discovered something that could be done better. And we gave the power to anybody on our crew to shut down our operations if they saw a safety violation that could cause a problem. That's a bold step for a lot of folks. Yeah, I know, but you have to put it right down at the lowest level and make them believe that's important. And then it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt that you made safety right there as part of the bonus program, that if we didn't have zero incidents, that the bonus was reduced by a significant amount, 20%, right off the top. Your bonus is cut by 20% if we have an incident. It's putting your money where your mouth is and empowering people right at the lowest level to be on cue to observe at all times. Wow, that's very impressive. So Peter, I meant to ask you at the beginning, your company is located where? Our head office is here in Houston. We have in the past head offices in Denver and Calgary, but both of those are on ice right now as we regrow. Okay. Well, and it sounds like you are regrowing and you say uh, activity, you're seeing an increase in activity or? Yes. So our frack monitoring business is growing again. We're still, we're not nowhere near where we were in terms of number of crews out in the field in 2012 or 2011, but it is picking up again. And again, the focus is less on designing a better frack, more on the aspect of keeping the frack where it needs to be and not interfering with other wells and not creating any induced seismicity. A lot of emphasis on what they call this frack-driven interaction between wells, but that's growing again. We're to the point where we pretty much have two crews in the field constantly doing that, which is maybe 40% of where we were at our peak. But as well, the sinkhole market, we've kind of re-engineered our life of field monitoring for life of facility monitoring in the sinkhole world. And we've got two installations of that now. And these are long-term projects. We put these facilities in, they'll go for 20 years. We've got another one on tap and we're starting now that we believe we understand how to do that business. We're starting to market that in other parts of the US, Canada, and sinkholes occur everywhere in the world. Saudi Arabia, Morocco, Turkey, We see that as a growth market for us that could be every bit as big as frack monitoring. And then I mentioned CCS. Well, the DOE has been aggressive about funding to the development of technologies that can support the monitoring of sequestration to make sure the gas stays in place safely. 
We got a DOE grant to take what was fundamentally what we were doing for sinkhole monitoring and re-engineering that to monitor for sequestration monitoring. And we'll be going out to the field with the first of those projects in the first quarter. But we're getting a lot of interest from industry. There's a lot of sizzle on the CCS business right now. And sequestration in saline reservoirs is a big part of that. And our monitoring of it is almost mandated. It is mandated that you must monitor to make sure that you're not creating earthquakes and that carbon is staying in place. And we believe we have a technology that meets all of those mandates. And we're getting a really good response from the industry. And then I would just want to add one other thing, because we talked about fracking and you mentioned fracking not being oh, necessarily thought of as environmentally friendly. Yeah, the F word. <laughs> yeah. Well, fracking in the oil business is one thing, but there is a new and developing green technology, geothermal. And the old ways of harvesting heat from the earth geothermally that have been practiced for a long time are pretty small and had troubles becoming economic. But with decline in the oil and gas business, frack engineers have had the bandwidth to see the opportunity in bringing oil field fracking technology to the enhanced geothermal system world. And really, there have been enhanced geothermal projects going on for probably 20 years, but they were all more academic-oriented and hadn't taken advantage yet of what the oil field learned in the last 15 years about how to do better fracks. Learning that largely because of the imaging that the microseismic companies provided. So now that technology is being ported into the enhanced geothermal system industry. And I think we're going to see some great things happen in that business that are going to provide cost-effective and clean electricity to us. And I think that companies like ours, Microseismic Inc., are going to participate in the development of those improved heat exchange chambers, improved through the application of oil field, best of practice, fracking. There you have it, folks. That right there was worth the price of admission, as we always say. Peter, I really have enjoyed this conversation. As I said, it's been inspiring and refreshing. I'm probably not going to wait 10 years to reach back out to you. The CCS, carbon capture sequestration, we might want to, after you've rolled this thing out, the first part of next year, we might want to talk about that maybe a year from now and see how that's going. I think that's a huge, huge thing now. And there you have it, folks. Microseismic Inc., or MSI, located in Houston, Texas. They're doing a lot of great things, as you can tell by listening to this podcast. Reach out to Peter. We'll put his website information in the show notes. We'll also put in his LinkedIn URL. And thanks, Peter, again for coming on the show. Russell, it's been my pleasure. As you can tell, I love what I do and I love to talk about it. And you talk about it well. So thank you again. And as always, thanks to everyone for listening. Tune in again next week for another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Please leave us a review on uh, Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast platform uh, you listen to. Like us on LinkedIn. Tell all your friends about us and we'll see you next week. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.